Hi everyone, welcome back to the Daily Gospel Exegesis Podcast. Thank you again for tuning in. Can I ask you if you've benefited from this podcast and you're enjoying learning about the Bible this way, please take the time to subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on YouTube, leave a review where you can and share it around so that more and more people can get to see the benefit for Catholics for studying the Bible in this way by looking at the literal sense of the text every single day, which is what we do. And we'll continue today by looking at the gospel reading for today, which is John chapter 6, verses 22 to 29. After Jesus had fed the 5,000, his disciples saw him walking on the water. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side saw that only one boat had been there, and that Jesus had not got into the boat with his disciples but that the disciples had set off by themselves. Other boats, however, had put in from Tiberias, near the place where the bread had been eaten. When the people saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into those boats and crossed to Capernaum to look for Jesus. When they found him on the other side, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered, I tell you most solemnly, you are not looking for me because you have seen the signs, but because you had all the bread that you wanted to eat. Do not work for food that cannot last, but work for food that endures to eternal life, the kind of food the Son of Man is offering you. For on him the Father, God himself, has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do if we are to do the works that God wants? Jesus gave them this answer. This is working for God, that you you must believe in the one he has sent. So starting at verse 22, it actually sets up the context for us quite nicely. It says, After Jesus had fed the 5,000, his disciples saw him walking on the water. So all of this has happened just prior to this in John chapter 6. And we're now at the next day, and it says the crowd that had stayed on the other side. Now, it gets a bit confusing to try and follow this because there's all this mention of boats and crossing over. So it says the crowd that had stayed on the other side. So let's get the chronology right. Jesus feeds the 5,000 people, which appears to be on uh, the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee somewhere. And then he sends the disciples off to go to the western side of the Sea of Galilee and the crowd stays on the eastern side. They don't get into the boat, they stay on the eastern side. So this crowd saw that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not gotten into the boat with his disciples but that the disciples had set off by themselves. So the disciples, again, they set off from the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee to go to Capernaum. And Capernaum's on the western side. The crowd notices that the disciples left. This is the next day. And they sort of say to themselves, hang on, where did the disciples go? And they talk amongst themselves and they work out the disciples went across to the western shore to Capernaum. But they also work out, but Jesus didn't cross with them. So they're probably wondering where Jesus is because he didn't get in the boat with them. Now, we know as the readers of the Gospel of John that he, in fact, did get to Capernaum by walking on the water during the night, but the crowd doesn't know that. So the crowd 
know something happened last night. They know the disciples have left, but they don't really know where Jesus is. Verse 23, other boats, however, had put in from Tiberias near the place where the bread had been eaten. So where the crowd is on the eastern side, there's now other boats that have arrived from the southern shore, which is Tiberias. So probably these boats from Tiberias have arrived on the eastern shore to do normal fishing. The boats are supposed to be there as part of their fishing. So the people on the eastern shore, the crowds looking for Jesus, they see these boats coming past and they hitch a ride on these boats to try and look for Jesus. Now, other translations, uh, the one, our translation says, near the place where the bread had been eaten. And that's the way it describes the eastern shore. But other translations have this as, the boats came near to the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So more literally, we have the words given thanks here. And the Greek for that is Eucharistio. So we're starting to get a bit of a setup for the Eucharist here. So the people on the eastern shore are looking for Jesus and they hitch a ride on these boats that are heading over to the western shore. Verse 24, when the people saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into those boats and crossed to Capernaum to look for Jesus. So although they don't know that Jesus, where Jesus is necessarily, they know that Jesus does live in Capernaum. And they they saw the disciples go in that direction too. So they figure, let's go to Capernaum. I wonder if he's there. Now, there's probably huge crowds following him. This is probably a big amount of people getting in the boats because he has just fed about 15,000 people. Now, we shouldn't imagine that they steal these boats from Tiberias. It's not like they're pirates and they just jump on. They probably ask to hitch a ride um, on the boats which are going to Capernaum anyway. Capernaum is a fishing village, so the boats are probably headed there anyway. Verse 25, when they found him on the other side, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? So rabbi means teacher. The crowd knows that he didn't leave in the boats with his disciples, and they know it's too far for him to walk all the way to Capernaum. So they're confused. When did you get here? They actually don't know how Jesus could have gotten there so quickly. At least that's what the text seems to say. Now we know how he got there. He walked on the water, but the crowd doesn't know that. We also know if you combine this with the Gospel of Mark, that as soon as the boat arrives, as soon as Jesus' boat arrives uh, in Capernaum or near Capernaum in the morning on that day, people from Capernaum recognize him and they start hurrying around all over the place, bringing their sick to him. So imagine the scene. You have people from Capernaum who've just seen Jesus step foot on the shore and they say, it's Jesus. And they go and get all their sick people. So they're crowding around him. And it says people from all over the countryside did that. Meanwhile, people from the eastern shore are now coming after Jesus via boat. And so everyone is flocking to Jesus, to his hometown in Capernaum. But the question they ask him in this context is, when did you come here? Verse 26, Jesus says, I tell you most solemnly, or truly, truly, I say unto you, which means he's about to say something really important. You are not looking for me because you have seen the signs. Now, Jesus would prefer that the reason that they were looking for him was to see the signs because the signs, like the miracles, are special kinds of miracles that are designed to point people towards his true identity. Jesus wants people to be seeking after and understanding these signs. He wants people to know who he is. Jesus says, you are seeking me because you had all the bread that you wanted to eat. 
So Jesus says the reason they're coming after him on the boats is because they've just experienced this miraculous feeding and they got a whole lot of food. So Jesus appears to be saying they're motivated by some sort of selfish worldliness. Maybe they're looking for more food or something. They're seeing him in a pop star kind of way. They're not really genuinely spiritually seeking. Now, Jesus uses the feeding miracle that he's just done as an opportunity to discuss spiritual food. Verse 27, this is what he says. Do not work for food that cannot last. Now, when it says work here, it's as in do not seek after, do not look for. Jesus isn't saying they should not try to get food at all, but what he is saying is that they shouldn't make food the ultimate goal of their life, which apparently the crowd here is doing. They're obsessed with food or something. So Jesus says, work for food that endures to eternal life. So this is a command, notice. Jesus is commanding the crowds who are seeking him that they must work for something else in this life if they want to experience eternal life. There's some sort of food that will endure to eternal life. And he hasn't said what that is yet. He's just setting it up. Now, this idea of God's word or doing things for God being likened to food and drink, it might seem a bit strange to us, but it is in the Old Testament. So I'll read out a few verses here that are relevant from the Old Testament. So from Psalm 119, how sweet on my palate are your works, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Proverbs 9 verse 5 says, come eat of my food and drink of my wine. And that's that's God talking to people saying, come eat of my food. And then from Sirach, right at the start of chapter 15, it says, whoever fears the Lord will come to wisdom. She will feed him with the bread of learning. So this idea that bread and food and drink can represent coming close to God and doing things for God is in the Old Testament. And that might be the background of what he goes on to say now. He says, the kind of food that the Son of Man is offering you, so he introduces the Son of Man here, Jesus the Messiah, is offering them spiritual food. He's the one who's going to give it to them. He still hasn't said what the food is, but he is saying that if you take this food and you earnestly seek after it, it can lead you to eternal life. What is the food? Jesus is about to answer this. But first he says, For on him the the Father, God himself, has set his seal. And Jesus here highlights God himself because he knows the Jews believe and worship God. Sealing has set his seal. Sealing implies ownership. The father has set his seal on the son. And in context, what Jesus is saying is that the son is sent from the father as his accredited representative. So the father has put a seal of approval on the son so that the son is truly revealing the true path to eternal life and what God's will is. And in the gospel of John, Jesus is always talking about this. He's always trying to get people to realize that he is telling people God's message and God's truth. So that's what he's said, but he still hasn't told them what the food is yet. So verse 28, the crowd asks, what must we do if we are to do the works that God wants? And that's a fair question because Jesus hasn't told them what the food is, or in fact, what the works are yet. Now they mention the word works here, and that might be a reference to the works of the Torah. Um, So the prescriptions of the Old Testament law, they might be thinking that there's some specific laws or works of the Old Testament that Jesus expects them to do in order to get eternal life. And that makes sense. That would make sense in the context of being a faithful Jew. You would want to know 
which works are the ones that lead me to eternal life. Verse 29, and this is how Jesus finishes. This is working for God. You must believe in the one he has sent. So according to Jesus, that's the work that you need to do to get eternal life. Believe in the one he has sent. But he makes it sound simple. And if we unpack the sentence, it's not as simple as it might first seem. Primarily because the word believe doesn't mean what it means for us today. When we hear the word believe, we might think of it as like intellectual assent, as in, yes, I agree that that statement is true. It is Monday today. Yes, I believe that. That's not the kind of belief Jesus is talking about. In the biblical faith sense, believe means fully trusting and yielding. So Jesus is saying you must fully trust and believe Sorry, you must fully trust and yield to the one that God has sent. And that's a continual ongoing thing. It's a process. We must continually do this every day if we want to fulfill this work that Jesus is talking about. So God has sent his son into the world. We know that because Jesus has told us that. And Jesus is now saying that in order to please God, one must follow, must trust His messenger, Jesus, must follow the instructions of Jesus and must continually trust and yield to him. That's what Jesus tells the crowd. That's how you get eternal life, by yielding continually to Jesus. Now, this particular work that Jesus is talking about here, it's not supposed to be exhaustive. It's, It's a summary, general way of describing the most basic Christian belief. So it's a way of describing everything Christians believe. So if we were to summarize it, and this is what Jesus is doing, he summarizes it this way. How can one please God and enter into eternal life? That's the question. Jesus' answer is, keep believing and following Jesus. That answer still applies to us today. How do we get eternal life? Keep believing and following Jesus. And that means everything that that is entailed as part of being a Christian is encapsulated in this idea of believing and following Jesus constantly. But to the first century audience, that's radical. How do you get eternal life? By following this Jesus guy from Nazareth. He want, Jesus wants them to realize he is the Messiah and he needs to be followed. Now, Jesus, we're at the end of this passage. It's important to realize Jesus isn't getting Eucharistic yet. We are in chapter 6 of John, and that is the big Eucharist chapter. But we're not there yet. Jesus hasn't explicitly talked about the Eucharist. But what he's just said here about food and works does lead up to the Eucharistic discourse in two ways. Firstly, he's trying to get the crowds to elevate their minds above merely physical bread to get them to think about this idea of heavenly bread. He is doing that in this um, introductory speech. And secondly, he also tells them that he will be the one, Jesus himself will be the one, who provides the bread that leads to everlasting life. Both of those, Jesus has said in this particular speech. Everything he does over these next 24 hours is leading up to the teaching that he's going to give them on the Eucharist very soon in John chapter 6. But he has to do a lot of preparatory work. He has to multiply the loaves, and then he has to give them this speech today about thinking about heavenly bread, not earthly bread. So, how does the Catholic Church understand our passage today, and how does it inform Catholic teaching? There's a few interesting references to it. So, firstly, in paragraph 2835, and this is a commentary on the line, give us this day our daily bread, from the Our Father. 
It says this petition with the responsibility it involves also applies to another hunger from which men are perishing. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That is, by the word he speaks and the spirit he breathes forth. Christians must make every effort to proclaim the good news to the poor. There is famine on earth, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. For this reason, the specifically Christian sense of this fourth petition concerns the bread of life, the word of God accepted in faith, the body of Christ received in the Eucharist. Paragraph 698 is about the Holy Spirit, and this is a a discussion about sealing. Remember early in this passage when it says, God the Father puts his seal on the Son? Paragraph 698 says, The seal is a symbol close to that of anointing. Quote, The Father has set his seal, unquote, on Christ, and also seals us in him. Because this seal indicates the indelible effect of the anointing with the Holy Spirit, in the sacraments of baptism, confirmation, and holy orders, the image of the seal, sphragus, has been used in some theological traditions to express the indelible character imprinted by these three unrepeatable sacraments. So there the Catholic Church teaches that, in some sense, we can consider the three sacraments, baptism, confirmation, and holy orders, to have a sacred seal to involve a sacred seal, much like the seal that God puts on the Son. And then in paragraph 1296, which is a continuation of this discussion about sealing, but particularly in terms of the sacrament of confirmation, it says Christ himself declared that he was marked with his Father's seal. And obviously that links back here to John chapter 6. Christians are also marked with a seal. It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has commissioned us. He has put his seal on us and has given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The seal of the Holy Spirit marks our total belonging to Christ, our enrolment in his service forever, as well as the promise of divine protection in the great eschatological trial. So that's an interesting one. If you've had your confirmation, you'll know that there's an element of sealing that goes on in confirmation. And the church here understands that sealing to be similar in a way to what what the Father does to the Son. In the same way, the Father sets his own seal on us to be permanently enrolled in his service as a Catholic. And so that's an interesting link that's there. I'll put those paragraphs in the show notes so that you can explore them yourself. Thanks for listening to this uh, passage leading up to the Great Eucharistic Discourse, which we will continue in the coming days. 